Intro time. Hello, Internet. It's me again, John, your host of Hey Retriever. Well, actually, and there's Matt. Normally, Matt would be right here, and Matt would say something stupid like, I'm Matt Richmond. Actually, Dane, let's put Matt Richmond right here. Uh, this is Matt Richmond. You're one of your hosts. You may remember that quip from another episode, uh, but he's not here because he's driving a vehicle, and one should not drive a vehicle and podcast. So today, I, John Michael Ryan, will attempt to solely run an interview with a good friend and a, uh, a colleague and someone I respect very much, Grace John. Welcome to Hey Retriever, Grace John. Hello, Internet. Thanks for having me here today. I'm very excited to speak with you guys. And this is where Dane could put applause. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. But I like to constantly drop sound. If you at any time today want a sound effect, you just tell Dane and then he will do that. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a great thing. Grace is an amazing person uh, for many, many reasons. You are a, a wonderfully minded human being. Um, you are a fantastic creator and you have an extreme affection for plants which is uh, something that I love. Um, but, but we, of course, met each other as, as co-creators in the animal workspace. And uh, for those of you, of, of you listening who don't know Grace's work, you can find it all over the place. Um, but Grace is an amazing pet photographer, amongst many other things. But I want to jump right in, Grace, uh, and I want to get into the question of how did you get into this? How do you describe what it is that you do as a person, and and how did you start? How did I start? Well, I am an animal photographer, pet photographer, whatever you want to call it. I work with animals. I photograph animals, mostly dogs and cats. Um, I've had like the occasional horse, pig, lizard, but I'd say 99% of the time it's dogs and cats, and 90% of the time it's dogs. But um, how did I get into this? Um, How far back do we want to go? Because (laughs) day one. Day one, I was born uh, in a cold winter night in Philadelphia. No, but uh, my background is in biology, similar to you. And um, I was going to be a vet because when I was growing up, if you love animals, the only job you could really do is become a vet. My parents are Korean immigrants. They came to this country with two suitcases and very little cash. I think the government only was allowing them to take out like $250 each. They could only come with $250 each in a suitcase. And so... Uh, my parents really just wanted me to have a stable income, a quote-unquote professional job, which meant being a doctor, lawyer, and engineer. Loved animals, so I thought, okay, well, I can be an animal doctor. So got the bio degree, um, but then I ended up going to art school. I graduated with a degree, but then I went to art school to work in advertising as an art director. And I moved 3,000 miles away from home to go to art school, and I ended up working in the ad industry, working on... Panda Express, car stuff. I mean, like, so many different brands. Um, It's a very hard job. I mean, you know, as a production company and as creatives now, it's like we experience sort of um, that advertising world relationship sort of from afar as vendors. Being creatives inside an ad agency, man, like, that's a really, really hard job. It is not for the faint of heart. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it's a really fun job because, like, what other job can you go to a coffee shop with your writing partner and, like, shoot the shit and just come up with, like, stupid ad ideas all day long? Like, it's really, really fun. But it's also really exhausting. It's so competitive. You know, there are days where 
you show all your ideas that you've worked on all night, put them up on the wall in the morning, and they all get killed. And by the end of the day, you got to have like 10 more fresh, amazing ideas. So you're just like an ad idea fact or idea factory. All this to say, I got very, very burned out. I was miserable. There were days where I'm driving home at 12 in the morning thinking to myself, oh God, I wish I could just get in a car accident right now. Like not enough to kill me, but if I could just lay in a hospital bed for a few days and not have to go to work, that would be amazing. And that's when I realized I need to change something. Like this is not healthy. So I got a camera and I started taking headshots of rescue dogs to help them get adopted because as an art director, I understood the power of visuals. And if people see a picture of a cute dog, they're more likely to go in and want to adopt it. And that kind of took off. And that turned into a side hustle pet photography business. And so I was working as an art director by day. And then you could hire me on weekends to take like cute family pictures or your holiday cards. I did that for nine months and I ended up quitting my day job to go all in on the pet photography thing. And so I've been doing that ever since. All that to say too, I ended up transitioning out of the retail pet photography world, as we call it, and transitioned then to commercial photography. So rather than working with, you know, families, I now work with brands and companies and ad agencies. And that's how I met you. Now, so first question, there's a turn when you go from Grace the Vet to Grace the Art Director. Is that a story you can dive into? Do you, can you share some of that? What, yeah. what brings that about? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been creative. That's a really good question, because how do you go from being science to then going to art school, right? Um, I've always been really creative, and I've always had hobbies. And my parents were really great in that they recognized my artistic talents and interests, and they would, like, put me in the piano lessons, put me in the art school stuff. But um, by the time I got to junior high, it was like, these are really cute hobbies, Grace, but this is not a job, and you can't make money doing this. So, like, let's start, you know— SAT prep. <laughs> let's like get good grades. Let's do, let's go to an Ivy League. And that really became my life, like pulling all nighters in junior high school to get like the 100% on the math test. Um, hmm. But I never gave up on my hobbies. So I always continued with my art. I taught myself. Uh, how to build websites. When I was a teenager, I downloaded my first bootleg copy of Photoshop in the 90s, you know. So that was like all really fun hobby stuff. By the time I got to college, you know, I was the person you went to to, you know, get the flyer made for that workshop you want to do in the student, you know, hall, right? And so I was just doing it all for fun. And then I realized my senior year of college, um, there's this whole world out there of commercial art and graphic design and people make money doing this. I had no idea because, you know, I only knew what my parents told me. And so they didn't know. They're coming from like war-torn Korea. They don't know what you how you can make money in America, right? So once I started realizing, wow, like people can actually make money with some of these hobbies and skills that I have. Like, let me explore this. Um, I ended up learning about advertising. And It just combined all the things that I really liked, like really good communication mixed with creativity and graphic design. And it was like the heavens parted when I discovered that this world even existed. And that happened my senior year of college. And once I realized that it was out there, I'm like, forget biology. I'm going to go to art school and learn how to do this. And by some miracle, maybe it wasn't a miracle. Maybe it was just because I said I'd pay for it. The school (laughs) accepted me. I um, put together a portfolio of 
like literally these crappy workshop flyers I had designed and whatever other st- my like I had like printouts of websites I had designed. I just put together what I could to show how I could think and design and I got in and the rest is history. Now during that process when when you're applying to art school and you're starting to to, to pivot from the systemic studies of biology and all these different things, is there a moment where you're looking at a camera and you're thinking, huh, this is this is intriguing? Or did you discover that after you started kind of going through the the world of the art director? Yeah, you know, photography was actually a hobby of mine since I was a kid. My dad was really big on photography, collected antique cameras. He passed away when I was 13, but I remember him taking pictures of everything. Um, so I had my, I got, I remember my, for my fifth grade graduation, he bought me my first Canon point and shoot. And I am a still, I'm still a Canon shooter to this day. <laughs> so yeah, I had my little, like cute little point and shoot. And then I remember um, in college, I had an internship at the Philadelphia Zoo. And I remember like taking my point and shoot with me and grabbing the coolest photos. And then I got the film back not to date myself, but this is when everything was like 35 millimeter film and you had to like take it to the place to get developed. And when it came back, the photos were shit. I was like, this is so (laughs) like not what I was seeing through the viewfinder and in my mind's eye, you know? And then uh, when digital photography, like I always just wanted to have a digital SLR just because I felt like maybe I could have more control in seeing what I saw in my mind and then translating that into the photo. And I didn't get my first DSLR until my until I moved to LA. So that was my second job in advertising because they're expensive. It, I mean, at the time, you know, I, my first camera was a Canon Rebel, which was you call that a prosumer camera. It's not quite amateur, but it's not quite professional. It's like this really perfect in between camera, and even that costs like four hundred dollars, which. For me, being in my early 20s, like starving artist, like very poor art student, like that was a lot of money. So I didn't get my first DSLR until I moved to L.A. for my second advertising job. I had just adopted a dog and I started taking pictures with it. And I was like, whoa, I'm finally able to sort of get pictures like the way I wanted. Like I just remember feeling so disappointed with that roll of film when I was in college and I was at the zoo taking pictures. And I finally got to experience that. So yeah, that's when the photography thing really just opened up for me. It's such a great process when you when you start to see the things that aren't connecting with what you see in your mind. And and then you start walking down that pathway of what are the things that have to change to accomplish that. Uh, seeing you work now is lovely. Like I, you know, what's unique about our relationship, right? We have two different ways of working as creatives, but also two different mediums. And I, I have benefited tremendously um, watching you work because the way you approach still photography and, and work with animals, the needs are very different than the needs that I work with in motion. And it's exciting to me. And I, I've begun to take a lot of uh, fascination in that approach. So, so talk to me about you adopt a dog, you have a camera, you, it's starting to, starting to click for you, you shift into retail. What was it about those images that started to feel more and more like what you were thinking. Yeah, I think I think that you know, there's like light and the animal's expression. There's so much that goes into a really good still photo, you know, and I think when I was starting, it was really about capturing the animal's expression because that's what's going to hook somebody in. 
and have them want to come in and meet this dog. So um, that's really the genesis of it. But what's interesting is that to this day now, I mean, this was back in 2007, it's 2022 now, that's still what I get hired for. It's that very ability to be able to look at an animal and really capture their expression. Also, not in a way that's like very stock photography. I think that's the one thing that really allowed me to um, grow my business very quickly when I started it in 2008, is that at the time, uh, dog photography looked like stock images. Um even when you like, and there weren't really too many people who were only doing pet photography. And when you did see pet photos, it was like either really posed in like a portrait studio, like a Olin Mills kind of photo, or I remember just like you would see a picture like of a dog on a grass and like the photographer is like shooting down on it. So it's like you're still yeah. seeing the dog from the POV of a person standing above it. And then when you get the photo, it wasn't even about like capturing their expression. It was like, let me just try to, for me, it looked like, let me just try to take a picture that's properly exposed and not blurry, but not taking to, into account like this deep emotional world of the animal. And I think... Focusing on that and really trying to tell the animal's story was a big part of what I was doing, as well as telling the story through their environment. So I would always tell people, let's photograph your animal in their favorite room or in their favorite bed. Or, you know, I just, I really, art. I was art directing these rooms. Like I would go into somebody's house. I would say, give me a, a tour of your home. And I'm just assessing where's the best light, where's the best furniture, what looks really good. Um, and I would rearrange furniture if I had to, like essentially stage the room. I would tell them beforehand, like, uh, get fresh flowers. So I'm like, I was, and this is back in like 2008, right? Where styled shoots like weren't a thing, right? But just as an art director, understanding like, Let's craft this room to make it look nice, but also tell the dog's story. So then now suddenly I'm taking pictures that are emotional and like showing the animal's emotional story, but I'm also telling the story of their life. So now it's becoming lifestyle imagery as well, where the room is styled nicely, the light is really nice. I would direct people on what kind of clothes to wear. I would tell them to get flowers for the room. And I remember like this is what I was just doing is retail photography, and then um, when I finally decided to go into commercial, I worked with an amazing consultant named Suzanne Cease. She um, just, I sent her hundreds of pictures and she picked out the ones that she thought looked the most commercial and helped me build my first commercial um, portfolio. But what she said to me was, you know, your work already looks really commercial without you even realize that's what you were doing. And I think maybe like instinctively it was just as an art director, I was creating images that I thought were pretty, but also trying to tell more of the animal story, which really wasn't being done at the time. And so I keep rambling, but the other thing that I get hired for all the time now, and you know this, is capturing that relationship with people and mm -hmm. the animal, right? When I started in 2008, nobody was doing that. And every time somebody hired me and I would say, hey, so do you want to be in any of these pictures? They'd be like, oh, my God, no, no, this is just about the dog. Just focus on the dog. There was one guy in 2008 or 2009, and he goes, of course I want to be in the pictures. I want to be in, like, all the pictures. And I was like, that's amazing because everyone always says no. So I photographed him with his dog. I put them on the blog, and from that day on, nobody ever said no. They're all like, yes, I want to be in pictures with my dog because I was also doing this thing where no one was seeing at the time of 
capturing them in like a really sort of documentary, real life, authentic way versus like, let's pose and look at the camera when she counts to three and says cheese. And so what's interesting is I get hired for that all the time now too. It's crazy to think for a second how, I I wonder if the reason why the industry wasn't gravitating towards that style, which is so natural for you and a natural inclination for my brain too, is it because social media didn't exist? Or what, what was the missing piece of the puzzle that kept agencies and brands from thinking that way? Because you're right, it just it wasn't happening. What are your thoughts? You, you know, I don't even know at the time from the agency brand perspective, but I do know just from like the regular pet owner perspective, I think I only became a dog owner in 2007. So I can only tell you what I know about dog ownership since 2007. But... If we talk about dog ownership in 2022, like, it's (laughs) cray-cray. Like, we are living in a dog world. Like, you sent me a text the other day of, like, this incredible, like, dog park slash bar slash beer garden. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just, like, the norm now, right? Like, dogs are so part of our families. They're, like, our surrogate children. For many people, they are, like, our children. We love them like family. Like, most people let their dogs in, sleep in the house, sleep on the bed. They're allowed on the furniture. They eat better than we do. And what we've seen now, because, you know, I've been through two sort of sort of crazy events in the world. In 2008, we had the Great Recession. And then 2020, we had COVID. Both times I have seen now what happens is that when the economy goes down, anything related to your pet goes up. Because pets make us happy. Pets bring Mm. us wellness. And so when the economy goes down, the pet industry still goes up. And we saw that in 2008 um, when everything went down. And and, and, And during COVID, shelters are empty now. Like you can't even adopt a dog because everyone adopted a dog. So I can only, like I said, speak from my perspective, but it seems like what's happened since 2007, it was kind of like around that time, 2008, 2010, when people really started embracing pets as being family members. And it's only escalated since. So people would ask me back in 2008, like, oh, what's like the weirdest shoot you've ever done? And the example I would always give was this woman hired me to take photos of her dog party. Guess what? That's so normal now. (laughs) Like, that's not even weird anymore. (laughs) That's how much things have changed. And I think that's how much more pets have really become family. And I think a lot of the photos that, you know, I get hired not to take just reflect that, that relationship, that bond, and how they're just family members and not just animals. A question that I'm sure you get from a lot of people is, how do you make an image? How do you do that? What's your secret? Like, the constant, you know, what's your process? But I, I, the question I always like to ask, and we've talked about this, is, what is your philosophy of the set? What's your, what's your as as a photographer, as a creator, as a as a person? Like, how do you think about what does your set need to feel like, and what does your set need to look like for you and everyone else to be able to accomplish the goal? Well, let me ask you a question. I'm curious because you've witnessed this, and you've been, I've only been on my set, so I don't know. But you've now been on my set and your set. What do you think? Ooh, I'm curious. The, what does that what does it look like to you? Yeah, as a third party I, witness. So I I think that you have a tremendous calmness to you when you work. And I think that what I notice, you know, crew is family is a philosophy that I have lived by for my whole career. And I see that in the crew that you have selected and work with. Um I see that in in the nature of of how you walk through set and how you 
deal with the stress moments that you and I both know so well. I mean, it's it's a waiting game sometimes. It's a it's a, a, a Tetris game other times, and it's an agency conversation most of the time. Um, I, I would say what defines you and your approach and what resonates so well with why I love seeing you work and, and want to work with you is that calmness and the crew is calm and people are moving with grace. And, and I, even watching you, um, even watching you handle, I'll say last year, uh, when, when you were working on a project and we were together, uh, there was a moment that I, in my mind stands out where an interaction with uh, a, a trainer was something that I would have reacted to, I think, more aggressively um, because I was frustrated with how I perceived the situation to be going. Uh, I'm being so vague intentionally, but <laughs> I watched you in this situation interact with this human being in such a perfect way that what I had worried was becoming a point of confrontation magically clicked. And the two of you began to work so well together. You already were, but like, you know, and that's that's something I've always said to people when they're like, oh my, you know, how do you do animals? It's not really about even the animal. It's really about the communication you have with your your trainers, your lead trainer, and everybody else who's making that set good and healthy and safe and calm for the animal. The animal is going to do exactly what the animal does or is trained to do. It's the people that are the challenge. Yes. Oh, that's the, oh, that was so interesting to hear it from your perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think you nailed it as far as, uh, I think what I bring to set is absolute calmness and it's how I interact with the trainers. Absolutely. You, you just completely nailed it. And I think I know what you're talking about (laughs) in that, in that example, that was very vague. Um, yeah, because this is also what happens too, is um, they were new trainers I had never worked with before. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is absolutely about the relationship with the trainer because they work with tons of different directors and photographers. And not everybody is going to come in with the perspective that you or I may have. Where we're there, when I show up, I'm there to work with them. Like I'm here to treat you with respect so that you can help me get what we need to do, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so um, I think that it's, I make it a point to have a really good relationship with them, be very respectful with them and establish from the get-go that like we're on the same side. And when I work with trainers that I usually work with, like that's already been done because we have a history of doing that together. Like they know how I work, they know how I treat them. I make it a point to know everyone's name because I don't want to just be like, hey, I need a different eyeline. Hey, I want to be like, Susan, hey, can you help me like get that? You know, I need it more to camera left. Like I want to treat them like human beings. We're there as collaborators. I'm not their boss. Like I'm not there to boss them around. I look at it as a collaboration. That example that you gave though, it gets a little bit hard when it's a new trainer because we don't have that mm-hmm. history. They don't know how I work, and they're probably very used to working with directors and photographers who don't work that way, who 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 don't understand the sensitivity of animals, who think that you know the trainer's there and they can just make animals do things. You can't make an animal do anything. It's all a collaboration, right? So um, that gets a little hairy, and I feel like it's my job to like let them know, like, hey, we're in this together. Like, I'm here with you, and. Um, just, I think when you're diffusing things like that, it's like, um, 
I think calm energy creates calm energy because they're they become you like sort of they mirror you a little bit. And if you start mm-hmm. getting angry and then they start getting angry. So at the end of the day, it's really about um, I want to be calm and treat everybody on my set with respect. And that goes from the handlers to the animals, to my own crew, to every other person that is on that um, sheet of paper showing up to work that day. And um, it makes me feel very happy that you could feel that because that's what I want on my set. I want calm and respect. Something that has been in my mind a lot, and I was reminded of this week on one of my shoots, this week being obscure, of course, because this isn't going to be released this week. Um, Every shoot, I always have in my brain this desire to really have that 10-minute come together and, and that little philosophical discourse with the crew to say, hey, listen, these are animals. This is how we do things. As you move, be mindful. Down to the, the top of the bottle that you're screwing back on. Down to shaking your keys. And I, I you know, we, we work in a very high demand, quick turn industry. Because the truth is, these brands, everyone needs more. They need more. They need it faster. They need it in every single aspect. They need all the considerations. And so we aren't left with more time to refine the process, we're left with the challenge of continuing to develop and deliver at the same quality and expectation with an increasing set of deliverables. And I struggle with that. I struggle with trying to take those 10 minutes when you know that that's 10 minutes out of your day that that honestly is so important, but everyone's using every single minute. Uh, what is your perfect start to a shoot? How do you like to start your days? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't do maybe it's because I work with the same people all the time. Like I don't do any sort of like let's get together and like go team uh speech or anything like that, but I think just um I don't know. I don't really have, I guess I never thought about the answer to this question, I guess, because there isn't necessarily like a procedure, but mm-hmm. I just like everyone to feel welcomed that I'm happy they're there, that I know their name. Um you know, from like every person there. I just I just want them to feel like I'm glad that they're there, they're part of the team, and we're going to make amazing stuff. And it's not necessarily like a process that I do, but it's more just like a smile, a hello, what's your name, I'm Grace, you know, being nice, friendly. <laughs> being, yeah, being a good-ass human being. Yeah, right? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, a, like, don't be an asshole, and generally, things will go well. This is this is what I don't understand is having worked in the ad industry on the other side you meet a lot of very phenomenally talented people who are so smart and good at what they do but they're assholes like why <laughs> can't you be really good at what you do and be a good human being at the same time and that's what I want that's what I strive to be I want to be very phenomenal phenomenally talented but also a good human being Exactly. I, I wonder sometimes, you know, when we look at animals and how they react to stressors and how they react to in, in the fight or flight mechanics, if some of that attitude and some of that response isn't really those just insecurities and, um, you know, perceived fears realizing in that person or that in, in that moment, and and they just aren't cognizant yes. of of the output. They're not they're not aware of how they how they treat others or you know. Maybe there's a tinge of narcissism or something in some people, but you and I have seen our fair share of people who are not good ass human beings all the time, and it's it's a it's a 
you, it makes you really realize that you just prefer to work with good people. Um, and it makes a difference, you know, animals are, are beautiful. And I want to, I want to turn gears and talk about, you know, your most recent project, because this is a good pivot point as we bring up just the beauty of animals and, and how they're so integral into our society, into our culture, but they also have a power and we see that on set and how they move us, how they move, they move consumers. But, uh, talk to me about the, the project you have just finished, um, and it's, it's touring around. I don't know where it'll be at the time this comes out, but run me through. Yeah, that project is called Healer, and it's all about experiencing the healing power of dogs. And I think what's so interesting, especially for dog people, dogs just instantly make us feel better. Like, if you're a dog person and you see a cute dog, it's so hard not to, like, want to go up to it and pet it. And I just feel like if you really stop and think about what is happening in your body when you're doing that, it's like... You feel happy. Your nervous system is calmed down. You're more relaxed. Like your heart is opening. You just feel joy. And that is a medicine. That is a healing. And a lot of us lack the ability to feel that feeling during the day. We are so stressed out. We're running around. Our adrenaline system, you know, is pumping. And um, this is why seeing a dog feels so good. Right. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a photo series that very purposefully created a pathway for those people who resonate strongly with dogs to have a moment in their day where all they're going to do is breathe, lock eyes with this beautiful being in front of them and just feel their beautiful, healing, calming, loving energy. And that's it. And it's sort of amazing what's been happening as I've been sharing this work because it's sort of like a grand experiment. Like, I don't know how people are going to react. Like, I'm basically saying lock eyes with this dog, breathe slowly, allow yourself to calm down and see what messages the dogs are sending you. And... um it's just been really cool because when people engage with it, you know, some people say they cry. Some people feel like they've been seen. Some people say that they feel like they went to a therapist. Like it's really a moment to just calm your nervous system down and feel pure, unconditional love. That is so hard to get a lot of times in this world. Like even from your own loved ones, even from your parents, even from your friends, there's so much condition attached. Well, I'll love you if you do this. Or, you know, with mm. dogs, like none of that is there. And so to have this very pure moment with a being who will see you and love you no matter what, it's powerful. It reminds me of there's this artist, I can't remember her name right now, but she does these um performances where she just sits there and locks eyes with somebody. And what mm -hmm. ends up happening is they cry because to lock eyes with someone in that way is really, really powerful. You are There's a reason why they say your eyes are the window to the soul. Like you see everything bared in that person when you lock eyes with them. And I think that's the experience people are having with these dog photos. And it's very cool for me to see it because like I said, it was sort of this grand experiment. Like, will this work? Will people respond? What reaction are they going to have? Um, it's been very cool. And so it it went um, public in Brooklyn in June. It's not touring anywhere. That exhibit came down, and I'm just in the process now of trying to get it into other places so people can experience it in real life. I think it's it's something where, as dog owners, it's easy to forget that some people don't have dogs or that their experience with their own dog is different. And as you said, too, just in, in general, in life, 
how often, you know, are we walking on a sunny day and the metaphorical rain cloud pops over us? There's something really powerful about uh, the experience of art with intention. You know, so much of what I create and you create is thrown out there and maybe we see it, maybe we don't. It goes into portfolio, um, but there's a beauty in what I think you've created with Healer, which is that you've created an experience for people. And that's something that I think, you know, whether it manifests itself in the digital form or in, in the physical form, is is what art is, right? Our art's like this, this, this subjective experience of somebody's objective output. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, what was some of the most surprising feedback you received? Either not negative necessarily, but something that threw you like, oh, I wouldn't have thought that they would have experienced it this way or that way. Honestly, I think the most surprising thing for me is how open and willing people have been to sharing the messages that they're getting from the dogs. Um, because something I failed to mention is that I am an animal communicator, by the way. I am very open to animal energy. I was I used to be very scared in sharing this about myself. And when I started sharing it, people were like, well, duh. <laughs> like, look at your work. Like, there's a reason why you're able to capture the work that you do is because I feel them and I understand them on a very deep energetic level. And that oftentimes comes through as messages. Like, I can hear messages. It's like animal communication. And so when I put this work out there, I was actually a little bit nervous because I thought people would be like, what the hell is she talking about? Or like, is she crazy? Like, dog sending me messages. Like, what kind of devil worshiping are you doing, Grace? You know? Um, and so what's been so pleasantly surprising for me is has just been how open people have been in sharing these messages. And I don't, what I say when I share this work is trust your experience. Whatever you feel, whatever you hear, whatever you're getting, don't second guess it and just trust it. And so I'll get messages from people like, I didn't want to post this publicly on your Instagram page because I was a little nervous, but <clears throat> when I connected, I really felt like, you know, it was almost like the presence of my mother-in-law. I just felt that similar love and connection there. And I think I'm crazy. Mm. I'm like, you're not crazy. I want you to trust that. There is some sort of similar loving energy in there for you that the dog wants to share with you right now in this moment. So that's, I've been so amazed to see how people get so open-hearted and really share what these messages are. And then the really cool, most surprising thing for me in sharing this work is that what I do is after I share the work, people comment, like tons of comments of what the messages are, and I write them all down in a Word document, and then I rearrange them, and it ends up being the most perfect, beautiful, coherent message that's been gathered mm. like collectively from everybody else ex like experiencing the work. And so that, to me, has been the most beautiful thing because I feel like we're all animal communicators, whether we realize it or not. If you have a relationship with an animal, you know what they're thinking. You know what they're feeling. You don't need literal English words. There is a translation and a language in the heart that we all experience and we all discredit it. And what I want people to know is your experience is real. What you are picking up is real. And I feel like that's being like exhibited through these beautiful channeled messages that people are sharing. I think one of the weird, thank you for sharing that. That was Beautiful. One of the weirdest things about human consciousness is how uh, egocentric it has made us as a species, insofar as we almost rule out 
anything that doesn't speak a word. Uh, and that's something that Isaiah and I have talked about with with plants, and and Matt and I talked with plants too. You know, we're we're so quick to to toss aside anything that isn't bipedal and can use a spoken language that we can understand or read. You know, the world is huge. There are all kinds of creatures, and they all have vast differences in cognitive abilities. And I think that it's awesome of you to recognize and and stand behind uh, your abilities and your perception, because animals are, especially pets, are immediate. They're there. And I do think that if we look at the increase in heart disease and diabetes and all these different issues that we're facing as a species, how much of that is just better if we slow down and breathe and make better, more conscientious decisions in our day-to-day life and listen to the things around us, whether it's the spaces or the people or the animals or the plants and interpret what it is that we are hearing and what it is that actually resonates. It's a slowing down process that we don't give ourselves. Because if if we're running around being stressed out and crazy, it's a lot harder to perceive, perceive what those subtle things are, right? And so... It's in, you know, I've been meditating now since basically I started my photography career because I was like, I'm stressed out. I need a way to calm myself Mm. down. And so I know what it feels like to be completely calm and still and not have my monkey mind going crazy and being stressed out. And because I know what that feels like, because I experience it, I can now bring it onto set. And so that's that calmness that you're seeing when I'm on set. But what I'm trying to create with this work is to give people an opportunity to know what that moment feels like, even if it's just for 30 seconds while you're staring at a dog and breathing, that calmness you're feeling, your nervous system being regulated, that is what's available and accessible to you all the time, right? And and then when you can be more in that space consciously, purposely, then you can really like talk to plants, <laughs> like, you know, pick up the more subtle things in life that are not these explicit, someone speaking to you in a language through their mouth. Primates are weird. We are a weird, <laughs> we are a weird uh, byproduct. <laughs> we are weird. I, now, let me ask you this. Do you, do you think, uh, would you approach the same artwork through the lens of different kinds of pets, um, different species? So dogs are very purposeful right now because I feel like dogs are here as heart openers. I really feel Mm. like they almost have like a Christ consciousness. This is getting like Mm. really deep and spiritual. I don't know if this is right for your podcast, but it's just pure. Hey, retriever. (laughs) It's just anyone who knows a dog knows what I'm talking about. It's pure love, pure oneness, pure connection, no judgment, you know, you show up as you are, and I'm going to love you no matter what. That is what a dog is. This is why they are man's best friend, and we have evolved through millennia having this relationship together. I really think dogs are here. Domesticated dogs are here to be in relationship with us, to heal us, because they are offering us the opportunity to know what it feels like to be loved unconditionally no matter what. And like I said, that is a very hard experience to have a lot of times when you're a human being. And to experience that with the dog— is amazing. Like, that. this is why they're healers. This is why we have relationships with them. They are here to teach us so much and to heal us. I don't think all animals are here for that. 
Like a cat is not here for that. <laughs> it's a different kind of love. <laughs> it's a different. So like what I did think about doing though is doing a similar series, but with babies. Because I think babies have that very similar quality of openness, of opening people's hearts. Not everybody resonates with dogs, right? Everybody has this heart opening experience with different things. And I think a lot of people feel it with babies. You see, a, for some people, you can't see a baby and not want to squish it. You get like cute aggression, right? Like you would with a dog. And so I think there are different animal. There, everything has like sort of like a different energetic quality. And so I think it's about what experience do I want to create for the viewer? Because right now it's with dogs because I want them to have this unconditional love, acceptance, heart opening experience. I think if it was with cats, it'd be more like let's activate our witchiness and our own knowing and intuition. Like I think cats have a very like Egyptian mystical quality to them. So it'd be a totally different thing. It'd be like I could take a similar portrait of a cat, but you'd have a different energetic experience, I think. I'm going to surmise it to this. If I die in my house by myself, my cat will eat me. My dog will not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I, you know, I, I maybe, maybe that's an overassumption, but uh, I, I do, I do, I do agree with you. I think that there's a very different kind of experience that one gets from the different species. And I, and I'll say, my my youngest son, uh, he's all about herpetology right now. He's all about mm. reptiles, and he is imaginative, and he is loving, and he has all of this 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 brain, and. You know, we leave today for our trip, and he's got his little box of herp of herping supplies, and it's fascinating because he looks at a frog and he sees this level of connectivity that that you know, thirty seven year old me is like, well, Van, you know, the neocortex, and like, and I'm like, no, nope, stop, just stop. Like, I don't know what this creature is and isn't. I don't know how this creature, you know, I, I can see when it senses pain. I can see when it senses pleasure. I can see when it's eating. Um, and it's fun to see, you know, animals through the eyes of kids, especially other species. It, when I find myself being guilty of speciesism uh, in the same way that I'm, I'm worried about the world. Um, well, I, you know, I, I want to, I had wanted to talk about gardening um, because it's fascinating. And I, and I, I think instead, um, because we're coming close to our, our time here, uh, what I want to talk about is food gardening with you. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about sustenance. Talk to me about the things that you're growing and why you grow them and why it fascinates you. Yeah, it actually all relates just to slowing down. I I, I am a, I was, I joke and say I came out of the womb a workaholic, you know, and um, my, my default state in the world is just going as fast as possible, right? Um, give 200%. Why give any less than that. If you can give 200, why not? Right. And um, be a super overachiever. And it has served me very well in life, I will say. But what it also has done is created extreme burnout and has made me tie my self worth to my achievement. And I think, yeah, it's deep. Uh, that's like, I went to therapy for that. <laughs> but, like, can I like myself if I'm not working 200%, achieving, smashing all my goals, and being super successful by the world standards? And I think. At the very, very start of photography, I started gardening. Gardening, meditation, photography all happened at the exact same time because all three of them are tools for mindfulness. You can't think about anything else when you're taking photos. 
Like I can't be thinking about, oh, why aren't I making more money or why am I so stressed out? It's like, no, I have to be so in the moment, especially when I'm with an animal. Gardening um, taught me patience. I started gardening because I wanted to to slow down and I wanted to know that like with mother nature, you can't rush it. Everything has a divine timing, right? I can't give 200% at gardening and like control everything, right? It has its own timing. There's only so much I can do. And then there, I have to step away and be like, mother nature, you do your thing, okay? I did what I could. I did my part here. Now it's your, your part. It taught me so much about doing my part and then letting go, slowing down and a letting divine timing take its course. And so that has been something that I've practiced now um, gardening since 2008. And I like growing food because Food is delicious, and um, I like growing food that is very expensive to buy, but I can grow it in my garden for free. So it's extremely satisfying. So that's really sort of like a Cliff Notes version of why I garden and why I love it. It's like gaming the system. I love that. Uh, <laughs> let's do this. In, in closing, there's a whole closing thing we're going to do. It's a thing that we do. But before that, uh, where can people go and find you know previous work that you've done, books, uh, collections of your work? Where would you send them? Uh, my website, gracetron.com, is my portfolio. Uh, I also have a podcast called Creativity School where I talk to people about just like, make the stuff you want to make. Do it without attachment. Be have, be courageous. Have fun. Uh, it's creativityschoolpodcast.com is the website. And I'm also on Instagram, so it's at the Gracetron. And here's where we get to the part. Uh, oh, first off, Matt, do you have any questions? <laughs> oh, that's right, Matt. You don't have any questions today. Uh, Dane, find find something random that he says in a different episode and put it right here. Are we rolling? Oh, I didn't see the countdown. Sorry, it's distracted. Uh, I'm going to cut you out right there, Matt, and say that's enough. Um, I have so much power when he's not here. This is great. Uh, Grace, here's what I want to do. You're going to close this out. We really don't know how to end these, but the way we end them is you're going to describe something through words. And as you describe it, Dane is going to mix in the sounds of this world and the sounds of the experience. Uh, whether this is a perfect Saturday afternoon, whether this is a, a Monday morning coffee shop experience, describe for me a scene that comes to mind right now. And, and we will allow the smooth stylings of Dane Dickman to soundscape this experience. Wait. And tell us what kind of music, what kind of music should this start with? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What am I doing? <laughs> you are creating a symphony of sound with your voice. As you describe something, Dane will bring it in as an audio cue. So start by this. Tell us, where are we at right now? What comes to mind? What's your favorite place to be? I am walking in an ancient forest with trees that are so tall all around me. The sun is coming through the trees and sparkling, and I can see it moving on the ground, dappled sunlight through the leaves of these ancient trees, and the wind is blowing soft on my face, and I can hear birds chirping in the background. That's it? The end. Nailed it. The, the That's end. it? That's what I did yesterday. I just described what I did yesterday. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you, Grace, for your time and your thoughts. Uh, and like every time on Hey Retriever, the podcast, now it ends. Goodbye. Goodbye.